I am really excited because we're going to be looking at one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It's a passage in the Gospel of John, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is a biography that was written by a guy named John, who is Jesus' best friend. And in this passage, Jesus takes uh, some imagery, Jesus takes uh, an example um, and uses it as a metaphor, and he takes something that is super simple, easy to understand on a physical level, and he uses it to dig deep into this idea of our need for God. And so let me just read for you from John chapter 15, uh, first eight verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now in Jesus' day and even today, the, in, in the land of Israel, there are vineyards all over the place. So this is going to be something that the people who are listening to Jesus with were very, very familiar. They would see vines, grapevines, all over the place. And so it's, it's a familiar sight for them, but Jesus takes and he uses this familiar physical idea and he uses it to express a very profound spiritual truth. Earlier this fall, for the first six weeks of the fall, Pastor Christian brought a series of messages to us from the parables of Jesus. And those parables came from the gospels, the biographies written by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, the Apostle John, doesn't record any of Jesus' parables. There are none in the Gospel of John. Instead, he records analogy after analogy, metaphor after metaphor, where Jesus takes something familiar, something physical, and he uses it to teach us some deep and profound spiritual truths. So the people who are listening to Jesus speak, they would have understood the imagery of this idea of a vine that's got branches attached to it, and, and the vine gives life to those branches, and as a result of that life that's given to the branches, grapes or other fruit grow on these vines. And all of this takes place under the watchful eye and, and the loving, really, the loving care of the gardener or the vine dresser. And watch what he says in, in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And so what he's saying is just as the vine is the source of physical life for that, that grapevine is the source of physical life for the branches, I am the source of spiritual life for you. And so what he's saying is you and I are totally dependent on Jesus for our spiritual lives. We are totally dependent on Jesus, just as that branch is totally dependent on the vine. 
And he says in verses four and five, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, neither can you, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we don't have a problem with the concept of a branch on a vine being able to do nothing apart from that vine. And later on, Jesus says, if the branch becomes detached from the vine, it's going to wither up and it's going to die and it's going to be thrown away. And we get that. We have no problem with that concept because we see it in the world around us. It's almost time for Christmas, believe it or not, right? On Wednesday, the malls are going to start decorating for Christmas. In fact, if you're very observant and you walk by Macy's, Macy's has already started decorating for Christmas. And if you take a look and you're familiar with it, you'll know exactly what I mean when you see that. And the Short Hills, the mall at Short Hills already has Santa Paws advertisements out there where you can take your dog and your dog's picture can be taken with Santa. Not your kids yet, but the dog. It's time, it's time for that. And that's what's going on. But we're going to go sometime between Halloween and the night before Christmas, went all through the house. Anyway, we're going to go and we're going to cut down our Christmas trees, right? And then we're going to put the Christmas tree in the stand and we're going to put water in and we're going to put, you know, prolong or sugar or whatever you do to try to keep that Christmas tree alive. And every year we know the same thing is going to happen. By the time New Year's comes around, if you touch that tree, all the needles are going to fall off on the ground because the thing is dead. If the branch becomes separated from the vine, it's going to die. If we become separated from Jesus, we are going to die. We have no problem with the idea in the physical realm, but it's very challenging for us outside of that physical realm because we're not so sure that we're totally dependent on God for our lives. Think about it this way. If you look around this room this room is filled with incredibly competent people. We have bankers, we have lawyers, we have doctors, we have teachers, we have students, we have parents, we have artists, we have athletes, we have on and on and on. Incredibly competent, successful, hardworking people. And we view ourselves as self-sufficient. We see ourselves as independent. We are autonomous human beings who are largely in control of our own destinies. And by our own gifts and talents and hard work, if we put our minds to it, we can accomplish anything. And we don't like the idea of thinking that we're dependent on somebody else. We think we can control our own destiny, and we can until we can't. Many years ago, many years ago, back when dinosaurs roamed the face of the earth, Anne and I were volunteers with the youth group uh, at our church when we were living down uh, in the Princeton area, and we loved it. We got to spend time with these kids. We got to pour into their lives. You've got to get involved in the lives of other people. What an awesome privilege, whether you're working with students, whether you're working with children, whether you are serving in the kitchen, whatever you're doing, help out, get involved in the lives of other people because it's so incredibly rewarding to see God use you in the life of somebody else. A a anyway, there was this girl, and her name was Chrissy. Oh, Chrissy always had a smile on her face. She just had this joy in her heart. And it was really the love of Jesus in her life, in her heart. And it was infectious to the people around her. And little Chrissy grew up and she got married. 
and she and her husband moved to Santa Rosa, California, and they had four beautiful children, and they lived there uh, in Santa Rosa for the past uh, 19 years. And earlier this month, beginning of October, I think it was around October 8th or so, Chrissy and her husband decided to take their two younger children camping about a half hour away on the coast. And if you have been watching the news at all, you know that there were wildfires uh, in the Santa Rosa area, but they weren't worried because where they were going camping was supposed to be safe. There were going to be no fires there. And their house, their neighborhood was safe as well because the fires were nowhere near their neighborhood. So they left their two older daughters at home. And in the middle of the night, their oldest daughter woke up and she smelled smoke. And you know, this, you could smell the smoke a lot because it's just blowing around, but she knew something was different about it this time. And she heard explosions outside of her window. And those are probably power transformers uh, that were blowing up. And she could hear the winds sweeping in. <clears throat> Excuse me. She could hear the winds sweeping in and knocking over the garbage cans and the garbage cans and debris rolling around and banging around against the cars all throughout the street, and she started getting super worried. So she called her dad, and she's like, Dad, what do I do? And from, <clears throat> excuse me, from a half hour away, her dad said, get your sister, get out of the house, and get out of there immediately. So she ran upstairs through the smoke that was super thick at that point. Her sister had, had closed off her room to keep the smoke out. She was fast asleep. I don't know how that girl was sleeping. She's fast asleep in the middle of all this, and her older sister comes up and essentially rescues her from this fire. They get in the car, and they start driving, and everything is pitch black except for the flames on both sides of the road. And by the grace of God, her dad is sitting there on the phone. He can't do anything other than talk to his daughters and pray for them. And he guides them through the streets, and they make it to their friend's house where there were no fires, and they were safe by the grace of God. And here's a picture that they took a few days later when they went back to their house. I mean, it looks like the pictures that you see you know, of, 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 a, of a bomb going off in the area. Nothing is left. The tires on their car are melted. The mailboxes have melted and just fallen down to the streets. Somebody went by their house a few days later and found, I think it was a pot and a broken cup, and that was about all that was left of all of their possessions. We may think, <clears throat> we may think that we're in control of our lives. But when the flames come rushing in at 50 miles an hour, there is absolutely nothing we can do except run because something so much more powerful than we are is coming in. And if we don't get out of there, we are dead. And maybe it's not a fire. Maybe it's a debilitating illness. Or maybe it's an accident. Or maybe it's a betrayal. Somebody you trusted somebody you trusted betrays you. Or maybe it's depression and you can't get out of bed in the morning because the depression is so great. Or maybe it's paralyzing anxiety and panic attacks. And no matter what somebody says to you, you can't control those panic attacks. When those things happen at some point in our lives, all of us, all of us are going to be reminded that God never intended for us to be independent, self-sufficient, 
autonomous human beings. God created me. God created you to depend on him. And that is a good thing because he is God and I am not. He is God and you are not. And the world is so much better off with him on the throne than with us on the throne, no matter how much we would like to be God ourselves. <clears throat> Jesus uses this kind of archaic, old-fashioned word, abide, to express this idea of, of total dependence on God. Take a look here in verses four and five and watch this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Seven times in the eight verses we read, Jesus uses this word abide. And I chose this particular translation. Some of the, the other translations will use a word like remain, unless the branch remains in the vine, or unless the branch stays in the vine, or unless the branch is connected to the vine. And those words are a little bit more familiar, but I chose a translation that uses this word abide because it kind of makes us stop and think, because it's not a word that we use too often. You know, where do you abide? You look at me like, okay, what, you know, what country are you from where English is not your first language? Because we don't use that word on a normal basis. We stay in a hotel when we're on vacation or on a business trip. We live in a house, but a home is something more than a hotel. It's something more than an apartment. It's something more even than a house. A home is more than a house. Robin Hobb, who's an author, put it this way. She said, home is people not a place. If you go back there after the people are gone, then all you can see is what is not there anymore. My friend Chrissy went back to the place where her house had been. And you know what she missed? Was not the four walls and the roof and the possessions. She missed that somewhat. But what she missed were the people, the relationships, the memories of the people there her family and her friends and her neighbors. She missed her home more than she missed her house. A home is built on people, not property. It's built on relationships, not on real estate. It's because of the people, it's because of the relationships. That's why a home is a place where we find refuge, not just physical refuge, but spiritual refuge. It's a place where we live. It's a place where we find life. It's a place where we abide. And abiding in Jesus is the same thing. Abiding in Jesus means more than just knowing about him, being familiar with who he is, being inspired by him, following his example. Yes, abiding in Jesus includes all of those things. But if that's all it would be, then it's no different than knowing Socrates or being inspired by your favorite author or being excited by your, your favorite sports figure. Abiding in Jesus means having a life-giving, life-sustaining, life-transforming relationship with the creator 
and redeemer and sustainer of the universe. Abiding in Jesus means that we are convinced in every fiber of our being that we need him, that we need him every hour, and that apart from him, like a branch on a vine, apart from him, we will shrivel up and we will die unless we abide in him. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. If we look to anyone or anything else other than Jesus to be our vine, we're going to be disappointed because there is no one and nothing else who can provide us with the life that Jesus can provide us with. If we look to someone else to give us what we need, they'll never be able to do it, and we will suck the life right out of them, trying to get from them what they are unable to give us because we're asking them to be someone whom God never intended them to be. Some of you are in situations with family members, friends, coworkers, where people are coming to you day after day after day, and they are looking to you to meet their needs. And it's sucking you dry. It's taking the life out of you. Why? Because you're not God. You don't have infinite resources. You are not the source of life. You're a branch. You're not the vine itself. And so, yes, God can use you in the lives of other people, but if you try to be God, you'll die because you just don't have the resources to do it. Our spouses, our friends, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our neighbors, our coworkers, they're all gifts from God, but if we expect them to love us in the way that only God can love us, those relationships are going to fail because we're demanding of them something that they cannot give, and it's going to suck the life right out of them. It's good for us who are parents to be happy when our children succeed, when they do well in school, when they do well in sports, when they accomplish something in the world of arts or music. It's good, and we ought to be excited, and we ought to rejoice with them in that. But if we try to live our lives through our children, we're going to just set ourselves up for disappointment, and we're going to crush our kids. I don't know how many times, I was, I was a, a chaplain for many years, a university chaplain. I don't know how many times I saw students who came to college, to that particular college, not because they wanted to, but because they felt that their parents wanted them to do that, who chose a major, not because it was where their heart was, but they chose the major because mom and dad pushed them in that direction, and they were miserable, and their parents were miserable about it, and the relationship between them was miserable because their parents were trying to live vicariously through the lives of their children. They were, parents were looking to their children to provide something for the parents that the children were unable to give, and it didn't work for the parents, and it didn't work for the children because that's not who God created those children to be. We can hope to be recognized for a job well done, but if we look to our boss, if we look to our titles, if we look to our salary to provide meaning, to provide significance, to validate who we are, we're going to be disappointed. We'll never be satisfied. God gives us good gifts 
but he never intends his gifts to replace himself. There is only one true vine, and his name is Jesus. Some years ago, I was uh, talking with a, a woman about some challenges that she was having in her marriage, and she was, she was sharing with me that she'd been married for probably about three years or so at this point. She was sharing with me how for the entire time that she and her now husband had been dating, their relationship was just incredible. They were best friends. They were inseparable. They just loved being together. But something changed after they got married. And, and she said, you know, he's still a good guy. He still loves me and I still love him, but we're fighting all the time now. And our marriage isn't over by any means, but I feel like if we continue this way, I don't know that we're going to make it to seven or to 10 years. And I, I need some help. And as we talked it through, I realized she was looking to him to be her vine. She was looking to him to provide something that only God could provide to her. So I shared that thought with her and we talked a little bit about it and then you know, she went away and uh, a month or so later, she came to me in tears and she said, Clay, I, I can't get this idea out of my mind that I am looking to my husband to be God for me. I'm demanding of him things that he is just unable to give me. I need to turn my life over to Jesus. I need to surrender to him. I need to look to him to meet my needs. So we sat there and she was crying and we prayed together and she turned her life over to Jesus. And then about six or eight weeks later, we got together for lunch. I said, how are things going? And she said, you're not gonna believe it. My marriage has been like totally turned around. It's been transformed. And the other day, my husband said to me, I don't know what it is that you're on, but can you tell me what it is? Because I got to have some of that. He saw the change in her life and he wanted it. What he saw was the life of Jesus in her and the fruit of that life in her. And it was transforming their marriage and it was transforming him as well. When we look to Jesus to be our true vine, not only do we find the life that we need, but we also bear fruit that other people can see. Jesus says, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When we abide in Jesus, we bear fruit and other people notice it, and that makes God look good and that draws people to him in the same way you open a good bottle of wine and you drink that and you're like, this is awesome. And what you want, the first thing you want to know is who made this wine? Where did it come from? And it goes right back to the grapes. It goes right back to the branches. It goes right back to the vine. It goes right back to the vineyard. It goes right back to the vine dresser. It goes right back to the winemaker. And you say, what an amazing winemaker. And in the same way, when other people see in us the fruit of our abiding in Jesus, it goes right back to him. And people say, what an amazing God she has. What an awesome Savior he has. Jesus mentions several different fruits of abiding uh, in him. The first one is prayer that God answers. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
Now, at first glance, it looks like what Jesus is saying is if we do this abiding thing, whatever that means, just ask anything you want and God's going to grant it. So, hey, I want a new house. Give me a new house, Jesus. Poof, there's a new house. I want a new car. I want a new job. I want to, I want to, I want to. And there's a promise. If we abide in Jesus, he's going to give us anything we want. And in some sense, it's true, but in another sense, we're totally missing the analogy if we think that that's what's going on. Jesus isn't saying that God is going to change in response to our prayers. He's saying that our prayers will change in response to abiding in Jesus. The answers to our prayers are not the fruit. The fruit is actually the prayers themselves because our desires are going to change as we abide in Jesus. When my heart is in tune with God's heart because I'm abiding in Jesus, then my desires are going to be the desires that God already has. So if I ask him for something that he already wants to give me, of course he's going to give it to me. And so what Jesus is saying is that as I abide in him, as you abide in him, he is going to change our hearts and change our desires so that they're going to be in tune with his. And so when we ask him for whatever we wish, it's going to be something that he wants to give us. And he'll do that for us because he loves us. As Tom was saying earlier in, in, in the announcements, Come on out to our Prayer 101 seminar later this month, and we're going to spend some time talking more about prayer and how we can pray more deeply and how we can grow in, in prayer. And we're going to spend some time practicing and actually praying as well. So come on out to that if you've got time that particular day. So one fruit is prayers that God wants to answer. A second fruit is joy. These things, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. God wants to give us joy. Happiness depends on our circumstances. Joy is in spite of our circumstances. A week, 10 days or so, after everything she owned was destroyed, my friend Chrissy shared this thought on Facebook. She said, what's on my mind this morning? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then she writes, I think that's in Lamentations. I think she had to write that I think it's in Lamentations because I bet her Bible was burned up. But she had memorized, she had hidden God's word in her heart. And it was a part of who she was. So she said, I think it's in Lamentations after the bit about Jeremiah's flesh falling off and feeling like he's chewing on gravel. And she could relate to that. She felt like her flesh had fallen off. She's feeling like she's chewing on gravel. So she thinks of this passage in Jeremiah. And she says, I'm meditating on the unexplainable, incomprehensible, steadfast love of God. That joy in the midst of horrific circumstances. That joy is not something she conjured up. That joy is a result of abiding in Jesus, of his life, of his spirit being in her and turning her focus away from what she's lost, which pales in comparison to what she has 
when she still has that abiding relationship with her Lord and with her Savior. And then she shared a few verses that uh, Jesus had said just before he talked about abiding in John chapter 15. In John chapter 14, starting at verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would, have, I, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. What she's saying is the house, the house in which I lived for 19 years, that house may be gone, but my eternal home is still there. And I am looking forward to going to my eternal home, to my house in heaven, because I get to be there with Jesus. So her hope was in him. Her hope was in what he was promising. And that's where her joy came from. Her Savior, her Lord, her true vine is the source of her joy. And so prayer that God answers, joy and finally, love. Love is the, the last fruit I want to mention today as a result of abiding in Jesus. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Pinot Noir comes from grapes that grow on one kind of vine. Cabernet grows on grapes that come from another kind of vine. Don't ask me the details there, I just know. Two different types of wine, they come from two different types of grapes, two different types of vines, and we all know that instinctively, that the grape goes with the vine from which it gets its life. The same thing is true with our relationship with Jesus. When we abide in Jesus, we will be like him. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to lay down his life for us. And if we get our life from Jesus, then we're going to have that same kind of love. We get our life from him because he gave his life for us. And if his life is flowing through us, then his love is going to flow through us as well. And we're going to love other people with the same kind of love with which he loves us. We're not going to become God. We're not going to have the infinite resources that he has. We're not going to be able to be that vine for somebody else. But we will be those branches. And we will bear that fruit. And God will use us to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. When we abide in him, his life flows in us and his love flows through us and we will love others the way that he loves us. Abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus means having a life-giving, a life-sustaining, a life-transforming life relationship with the creator of the universe. And so... If you want to pray the kind of prayers that God wants to answer, if you want to have joy no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, 
If you want to love others with the kind of love with which God loves you, if you want to have true life, if you want to have ultimate satisfaction and meaning and purpose in your life, then stay connected to that true vine. Look to Him and not to anyone or anything else. Abide in Jesus. About 170 years ago, there was an Anglican priest named Henry Francis Light, and he wrote a song towards the end of his life that's called Abide With Me. And that song, that's a, it's a hymn, Abide With Me, was inspired by the passage, John chapter 15, that we looked at this morning. And it's a prayer. It's a prayer that says, God, would you abide with me in all of life's circumstances, the easy ones and the hard ones, the good ones and the bad ones. And this, this song is sung at churches. It's been sung at weddings. It's been sung at funerals. It was actually sung during the opening ceremonies of the 2012 Olympics in London. Abide with me. As, as I was thinking and praying about this passage this morning, this, uh, the, earlier this week, the song came to my, my heart and my mind, and I, I talked to Dave, and I said, Dave, could we get Julie to sing the song for us at the end of the service? And he talked to her, and she's been gracious enough to sing it. And, and what I want us to do, as Julie is singing this song, I want you to, to think about the words. I want you to meditate on the words, and I want you to take those words and pray them back to God as a prayer of dependence an acknowledgement of our need for him, that he's the true vine and that we need to abide in him.